0: Between cultures, the ceremonial practices of life may, in a small geographical area, um, on the surface, seem the same. But even in these modern times, differences can remain. In England... It is the premises that are registered for the solemnization of marriage. In Scotland, there's nowhere registered. It purely rests with the minister, with the person of faith. You can get wed anywhere, indoors or out, that the minister is happy to go to. Perhaps this is why in the town where I grew up, it is recorded that in the mid-19th century, it was typical for a wedding to take place, not in a church, not in any public building, but most commonly at six o'clock on a Friday night in the bride's house. In the family home. In this book, written in 1912, remembering how things used to be, called Echoes from the Border Hills, it speaks of how life was in the south of Scotland around that time. And it says, when the bride's guests were all assembled, they formed a procession. And they went forth without the bride, of course, to convoy the bridegroom's party to her house. It was headed by the bridegroom and the whole company returned to the bride's house. The author comments, a practice which I have often thought must have been similar to the Jewish custom Indicated in the parable of the ten fortunes. And it is, isn't it? There's a group that's gathered, and the groom's somewhere else, but then the groom comes as part of a great procession, ready for the marriage ceremony to go on. They are quite similar, though in the first century, in first century Judaism, the celebration was more commonly at the groom's home rather than the bride's. But otherwise, there's a house for ceremony, a parade, the groom's arrival, and of course, the feast, the thing that you want to be there for. But the characters we name the parable after that we learn a lesson from are perhaps absent. In the parable, we can't actually be 100% sure of what the women are there for. Culture changes and no one Always has the forethought to write things down as this record of the Victorian times does. We don't have all the ins and outs. The most likely understanding of the young women is that they are not bridesmaids as we would understand them today, not attenders to the bride, but are likely servants of the groom there to light the way and then to join with the revelries. That would equate to the role of the church today. We are people to bring light, preparing for the return of the groom, Jesus, for his coming into the world. And then we join with him, at the heavenly banquet, we're there for the feast, we're there for the party, for all eternity. But something has happened in the parable, something important. Some of those who should be lighting the way have not brought sufficient oil. And this is a foolish thing to do in a time of great darkness. To have failed to remember this results in disaster for them. Classically, oil is used for anointing or as a symbol of righteousness. And perhaps the Holy Spirit's presence coming and dwelling with a person. And the burning flame might likewise be thought of as a sign of the Spirit. The flames of fire, or rather something like fire, that reaches out and touches on the day of Pentecost. As well as, of course, that flaming cloudy pillar that leads Moses, who leads his people through the wilderness, off towards the promised land. But commentators point out that this is not the only understanding. It's not only that sense of being Holy Spirit that relates to the lit torch. And it is more of a torch in the Greek. It's not a little a little lamp, a little oil lamp that you can hold in your hand, that ain't going to light the way for a huge procession, is it? It has to be like last Saturday night at the bonfire, you know. Great big flaming torches. That's what we're on about. that light, the way for people. That bring light to the world. And be it. Bringing light through direct uh, evangelism, preaching, or through the type of efforts that we heard in that wonderful service last week with uh, Jude and Alan. And happy birthday, have to say. Um, You know, with, with that sense of feeding and clothing and setting the captive free whether it's that side of things or whether it's preaching it brings light to the world but either way while some serve be it in the spirit or missionary activity there's sometimes people that fall short People that aren't engaging. People who would be the ones without the oil. The five without oil try to catch some off their friends, but that doesn't work. You can't do this simply through somebody else's shadow. And so they scoot off to try and get some. But remember, it's the time of darkness. The people who have light are gathered ready for the bridegroom. They will not get the light if they search elsewhere. They did not have 24-hour filling stations and supermarkets. They have left it too late. The groom has returned and they have failed to offer the service that they were called to provide. They did not bring light in the darkness. And now the words of sentence are pronounced towards them in judgment I do not know you. If we love God, we are known by God. But when we fail to be his, we are disowned. It's a harsh reality, but that's where we are. There can be people in church life who once burned brightly, but chose to allow their flame to go out. This is no criticism of the natural effect of getting older or individuals through their health, not being able to do things. This is about people that are still capable, not serving. People who are physically able flame simply wither. Any of those who were oh, oh. older, perhaps had had good health that is no longer there, they often remain faithful and fair. They continue burning the flame in a really positive way that gives glory, that gives strength, that equips the others that can hold their flame torch high, but sometimes those who could let it drop. Sometimes folk have taken the eye off what it is to be a person of faith. They might still go to church. They might still do things in the church, but they don't share the light of God. Above all, they fail to love as Jesus loved. Paul tells the church in Corinth, Without love, we are nothing. He's speaking to a congregation. He's speaking to people who believe themselves to be of faith. He's saying, without love, we have nothing. He also says that, without love you know when we're speaking we're just clanging gongs (coughs) clanging gongs and symbols we're not bringers of harmony we break things apart we just make a loud noise if we don't have love if we are without love, then instead of burning brightly, we let the darkness overwhelm us. And the community do not encounter the love of Jesus. And we are the people that are called to have that love. And that are called to light the way for others, to give a glimpse of the kingdom, ready for the return of Christ our Savior. We have to have love in our hearts. In in John 15, Jesus calls upon us to love each other. However, any time we act in a way that damages the fellowship of believers, where instead of being loving and encouraging, we hurt feelings and break relationships. The light dims. Remembrance Sunday is a time when we recall loving service. We brought back to the top of the pile the thoughts of service, the thoughts of commitment, of doing something for someone else, of those who gave their all. When we give thanks later and commit to remember them, let us also remember who we are called to be who we are called to serve, who we are to shine our light for, Jesus, our Lord. May we not be lacking in oil, but prepared to serve him with our whole being. For in this way, we will be rightly prepared for the day we will meet our maker. For that day will surely come. And let him say to each one of us, well done, my good and faithful servant. And not, I do not know you. Amen.